0: Hello people, welcome to Forever, conversations with curious minds creating sustainable brands. Brought to you by Behaviour, a creative company that balances purpose and profit. It feels like we're living through an age of reckoning, confronted with our past failures where the Armageddon predictions and now a stark reality. We believe that it was human ingenuity that got us into this mess and it will be human ingenuity that gets us out of it. We need radical change. But where will this change come from? And who can lead the way? Today we are talking with Ariel. Marceline Lichten, founder of Slash Objects, an award-winning design studio based in New York. Their work is rooted in a fascination with materials and how they are brought together. Using unexpected juxtapositions and thoughtful design, creating beautiful pieces that transform the way people experience the world. Their process begins in the material with an interest in exposing the very tactile nature of making while creating pure forms bound together by geometry and precision. The materials they use are recycled and long lasting breathing new life cycles to materials otherwise relegated to waste. We hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Recording. We're live. We're live. Thank you for taking part in this. This is great by the way.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited.
0: We've obviously got to meet this climate challenge thing head on, right? And I hope that we're witnessing this sort of new movement of people like yourselves um, creating their way out of this mess that we're in. We've got this real opportunity, it's really like it's our time right people like us and you um it starts with brands and businesses doing the right thing so i guess the question is like could you talk a bit about how you see design at slash um shaping, shaping this sort of healthier future um for for the people in the planet
2: i i think that it's so important now more than ever to see Um, design leaders and brands be the kind of change makers because I think people are looking for those types of of leadership um, examples and that's personally my take on the role of a designer is very much of um, you know a uh, a change maker in the sense that we take on a lot of the decisions that are you know rooted in in the status quo and have the opportunity to really shift shift the way things are made so you know my work at slash is I think one version of taking on sustainability in um, in the kind of consumer sector um, and I you know you I know you you kind of touched on the all of the kind of many ways by which entrepreneurs are working on this. And, you know, sometimes even with my own work, I question, you know, should I be making things out of bamboo and like organic hemp um, because the materials we're working with have their own complexities and contradictions and, and problems. But I also think it's important for entrepreneurs to look at the def- you know, the many ways impact, personal interest is more in the um, making you know taking um, essentially kind of like creating value from waste uh, looking Mm -hmm. at the consumption that we've already disposed of and seeing where we can repurpose those materials instead of just sending them to landfills Um, especially Mm -hmm. as recycling becomes so much more problematized with like all of the global changes, essentially like global politics that affect our recycling streams and, and what made us previously feel good about recycling. So uh, long-windedly, but yes. So my, I think, yeah, my take is, is really to kind of reckon with the materials that are salvageable and to give them new life. Um, and, and to, I think through that, I hopefully put into question the lifespan of a material and to hopefully engage consumers with, um, with that lifespan themselves and to, and to kind of contemplate like, that when they purchase something, that it, you know, that it has a, a life with them, mm-hmm. um, you know, a life before them when it was either extracted or manufactured yeah. and then a life uh, beyond them where it gets disposed of, or, or whatever the kind of cycle might be.
0: Have you heard of this? Um, we were chatting the other day to one of our friends who's uh, like a sustainability and innovation consultant. And um, one of his sort of, uh, I guess, theories or approaches is, is this idea of, of like, that a, a brand or a business has a sort of halo and a shadow um and um it's also been referred to as a like a footprint and a handprint so like the the footprint is like the the perhaps the the negative impact you have on the world like um um you know the, the waste that you create the um the energy that you use um that kind of thing and then your handprint your handprint is like the the positive impact that you have on the world. Perhaps that's using waste. Perhaps that's using a different sort of energy. Perhaps that's like the creative ideas that you produce that make the world a better place. Um, have you have you have you heard of that model before? Because it's it's a new one for me. I find it quite interesting. I'm just trying to dig it out for us, actually.
2: Yeah, and that is super interesting because I you know I definitely feel like I struggle internally with that because, you know, inherent to manufacturing are processes that are, that have negative effects. Um, and even like to distribute products, you need to engage in processes that have negative effects um, or that aren't fully, you know, um, ecologically like, or ecologically in general. So yeah, it's always about like weighing mm-hmm. the positive versus the negative effect and-
0: Yeah. Do you think that's like because that's exactly what I mean because I actually find it quite hard to to um, not strike the balance but have enough information about your impact either way to to make a decision sometimes because like I don't know an example might be um, electric vehicles right so I've got a petrol car and um Obviously, I would like an electric vehicle, right? I'd love a Tesla. Can't really afford one right now. Um, If I could afford one, I'd probably have one, right? Because I'm that sort of person. Um, BMW i8, actually, is what I'd have. Anyway, that's beside the point. My point is, is that, like, so you have this information that is like, okay, well, obviously, electric vehicles are better, right, on the surface. And then you read, oh, no, actually, you know, on long journeys over 100 miles, actually, petrol's more efficient. And actually batteries are quite evil. Like the resources that it takes to get the batteries out of the ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it comes from maybe negligible places in the world too, where maybe the employment rights aren't so hot. Um, And also me buying a new car means that that's got to be created and the resources to build that new car rather than me keeping my 12 year old petrol car on the road and, um, you know, using it. Um, The sort of reuse thing. Like it, it's like we're sort of overcomplicated. The more you unravel it, the more complicated it gets. And the harder it is to have a simple um, action being like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that land with you, Ariel?
2: Yeah. I mean, even, you know, like all birds. Yeah. Um, being, you know, it's like, oh, they're doing all the material research and, and these materials that are made of sugar cane or you know whatever kind of crop based Uh, but essentially it's also it it does have a similar effect um, in that it's something extracted from the earth and it's also Mm. having a huge scale effect because they are working at that large scale and also like wool being transported from New Zealand to Mm -hmm. Korea because like there are a lot of contradictions I think inherent in this. Yeah and ultimately you're creating demand
0: for a new pair of shoes right instead of Having a you know like used keeping, to a yeah, like, hundred years ago, having a pair of brogues that would last you a lifetime, or you know whatever it is,
2: It becomes a fast fashion item, and then, I mean, the, and then it basically gets knocked off by Amazon and every other brand making some kind of a wool runner, and now you've you're all of a sudden like I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to to see what the effects are um, environmentally something to be set for engaging a public that probably never considered environmental choices when purchasing Mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. shoe. Yeah. I mean, I would like to believe that that has a longer term effect. I don't know if it's, yeah, I wouldn't want it to be detrimental in the sense that they, um, you know, stop at at that choice and, yeah, and fully feel good about everything that if that's like the one choice they're making and I don't know how you it's definitely like the halo versus the
1: shadow, shadow. this huge climate crisis that we we've, we've been facing and we're now witnessing to tackle it is obviously quite a big task all entrepreneurs and I think new business owners need to stand up and be counted this revolution is not for the few it's, mm-hmm. it's for the many we all need to take part in this it's our planet and we're all responsible for it how can we expect you know business owners to take a step back and think more deeply about the, the effect they're having on the planet and the world.
2: You know, it, it, I've been thinking a bit about the, um, the kind of early adopter curve and the tipping point that you need to reach in order for it to become, um, you know, fully adopted in society, yeah. certain. And, you know, and like historically, I think we, there's many examples of things that we, we now consider, Um, totally unacceptable that were fully acceptable in society. And and it Mm -hmm. really took that transition from those like early adopters. And and then there's like the, I I, like even pulled up the little curve. um, You know, you have like the innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority the laggards. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think it's like, you have to be at 18% of the population or the tipping point to cross into that majority. It's about like, you know innovators and the early adopters to um, continue working on these on, on producing these ideas. And,
1: do you think do you, do you is I mean, the language around sustainability is right? Do you think we're communicating it in the right way to consumers?
2: Back to the kind of Allbirds example, you know when they first started it was like, oh, environment, you know, sustainability doesn't sell. Definitely don't lead with that and now I do think that you can not necessarily lead with it but it is an asset and, um, and brands are almost expected to have some kind of a in a way even though it does turn out to be you know greenwashing or whatever it is i feel like mm-hmm. that it, there's an expectation of it being addressed um and pr- yeah i mean personally I, I i definitely think that when i especially when i began slash um and was starting to work on the objects and using these recycled materials, I definitely feel that um, the language being used, and also the connotation in the language uh, mm-hmm. specifically, is what has a has a negative connotation. Um, and so that needs, yeah, it absolutely can use kind of like a a reframing. And mm-hmm. I, for me, I think that's why. I I really needed the products and the pieces to be kind of hyper glam, hyper beautiful to contradict the connotation.
0: So a question on that, actually. Do you remember a a moment where, like, the sort of penny dropped and you thought, "Ah, that's what I should do? Was there something that you saw or a person that inspired you? Uh, Or, you know, was it the discovery of the material or somebody else doing something? Or I don't know. I'm really interested in the sort of, you know, the backstory and the, the, um, the moments when, you know, you had these sort of epiphanies.
2: I remember the moment where it was, you know, over the course of probably a few months where I had the, I had discovered the material and I was sort of reckoning, like reckoning with what I could do with it. And I started looking into what had already been done. And I just saw so much potential and, the idea that you could salvage something as hard to destroy as a tire um which you know is pretty i think that that's something that especially like we um had just gone through zika which uh you know was something that was found to be um propagated by like leftover tires so it has all of these detrimental effects and you see these like mounds and mounds of tires that are such abundant waste yeah r- really like finding this material and thinking that this could contribute to diminishing that pile um was compelling enough for me to say well, what what can i make with this material that will contradict this idea of it being like recycled and I really just didn't want it to have that kind of like 70s. I think in, in a similar way, like the way feminism has had to kind of reclaim some of the language around it, like sustainability, that also just occurred to me, but the idea that like, it, you know, it was sort of a fringe um, fringe society kind of ethos and has it's becoming more um, mainstream in the, best sense of the word.
0: Yeah, I agree. If you think about, you know, these kinds of ideas have been around, they're not really new ideas, um, but certainly the people that care about them are a slightly different section of society now. Um, And it's, you know, people like yourself are doing it in a much more elevated, um, with a a much more elevated way with much more of a design sensibility. Whereas, you know, when I was young, that kind of tribe was very much the sort of, um, you know, nuclear power, disarmament, green Greenham co- in the UK, I'm talking about. Yeah, maybe feminism as well was tied up with that. It was very much um, burn your bra, knit your own yogurt kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and they were kind of marginalised, really, uh, because of that. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm generalising and they weren't like that, but that's what, you know, the core of society felt and it feels like now it is a sort of new new feminism or a new environmentalism that um has a sort of slightly different set of values um and that's what you know that's what I love actually because it's much more I suppose back then or maybe maybe there's there's a way of looking at the world which is sort of it's doom and gloom and um we are managing decline. Or there's perhaps the way that we look at it, which is, I think we can sort of ideate our way out of it. <laughs> and and I hope sort of creativity and design is the answer to this because, you know, our, our, our um, our desirability has kind of got us into this mess, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, fast fashion overconsumption. So I'm hoping our desire for things that make us feel great and, um, work well can get us out of this mess as well so I think we, we really need people like you Ariel not only creating the products but also mm-hmm. being the person like being the face of this new um, movement um, I think it's really important that we sort of almost you know put a halo around you or, or put you people like you on a, on a pedestal so that other people can see your story and how there is um, a way out. There's a way out for a, for a woman and um, being creative and um, helping the planet. And the more, the more of those kinds of stories there are out there, then perhaps you'll inspire other people, right? What do you think the, the, the key drivers and barriers are to the world having more Ariel's?
2: I think it's really difficult to the status quo and I it's something that I struggle with too you know every choice that I make in the business I think about the impact just because that's sort of like especially having set out this mission I want to hold myself as much accountable as possible um, and that's not always you know it's not always um, easy and it's I would say it's actually never easy to make the choices that are in line with the mission in today's Mm -hmm. world, because the world is not really built for that yet. So I think that it's, it's just, it's, it really uh, requires a lot of resolve um, in the entrepreneur to uh, take a challenge and force the change because it's, it's not for you. And, and, Creating products, as you know, already face a lot of um, hurdles.
1: We're constantly disillusioned by all this corporate uh, sort of noise and narratives talking to us about sustainability and, you know, unauthentic sustainability, greenwashing. Um, it, it, it's, how can we not sort of be to- tokenism about it and just create these green things for green things sake, but also, know the business needs to survive and thrive right you know you need to create something that is commercial and makes money because there's no point doing any of that if it's just for the sake of you know i've done well in the planet you know we need to live and you know i guess it's about defining the metrics of success how are you defining success with yourself as a person as an entrepreneur and with slash objects now and how will you define that against metrics in the future
2: so, I think when I started the project, I, I had this kind of very low stakes, but the idea was like, will this, you know, is almost like, are the consumers ready for this mm-hmm. kind of a message? And will they be engaged in it? And I would say that's actually probably the number one, the, the most successful aspect of my business is that um, there is the public reception in a way. Like, people, love the idea they uh and the press you know loves the idea so i can tell that the message is being received in a positive light um but then you know what happened you know i going a step further question what is the actual impact of that message you know in terms of even like the 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 distribution of the products and the amount of waste we are actually recycling and what are the processes involved. So I think for me, success is really about building the mission and pushing it and kind of trying to keep that infinity mindset. I think it's about really building that material revolution so that when, you know, the general public, when we cross that tipping point, Um, Consumers are are kind of already ready and Slash is very much um, kind of a master of reclaiming waste in this new way that's, you know, hyper designed and has also contributed to creating just new material and material use. Yeah, putting myself and the company on the line and by putting that mission out there, I also feel like it holds me accountable because... People are looking to me to make those choices. So you know, Mm -hmm. even if I'm like, "Oh, that choice is too difficult. I should go in this other direction." It's like it. It's like no, you can't because that's your mission. And so it's a constant kind of compass.
1: It's very refreshing and great to hear that your your measurement of success is based on how your mission is landed, rather than you know a a commercial metric or how big the company becomes or how many staff you employ. I think it's clear to see in here that you are one of those true, truly sustainable entrepreneurs that actually has the right values of how success should be, should be measured.
2: That's it's so hard to, again, it's just like so hard in producing anything to, to have a kind of almost negative impact or, or like, when can we get to the point where, have that zero impact and maybe that's also Mm. another kind of future goal because as long as you are yeah it's really like the push pull that halo shadow of like your footprint and your handprint i love that analogy because uh you have to always weigh what are the consequences um and really what is the benefit and i think I think it it first needs to even like my company now, hopefully in the future will it'll be like they thought that was environmentalism back then and you know, now <laughs> we found all these ways so like that was you know, like the the baby steps.
1: Do you have a process in as as a side to the creative process around how you think about that, how long that thing will last, you know, is it throwaway, is it you know is it something that can be reused and then recycled and and also you know do you consider that from the outset or how do you weigh that up with the the, the commerciality i guess of that product
2: so i i would say that i i sort of begin with um, an assessment of the materials that are accessible to me because it's such a local the way i started the business i think Having basically bootstrapped it, and um, you know, really, it, it does um, have some limitations on accessibility. And so, what began with this rubber that's made in upstate New York and Pennsylvania, um, and, and 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 essentially repurposes tires from the area, which was like something I really loved. Um, then expanded into looking, you know, what else is there in Greenpoint in Brooklyn that can pair beautifully with this kind of textured, but also kind of mundane material. And that's when I discovered all these remnants of marble that exist um, at the marble yards that are kind of a relic of industrial Brooklyn. um, Mm -hmm. And that really like literally still exist in the neighborhood in which my studio is. So that was like kind of this um, just like an epiphany of this very highbrow material that's so precious. Um, and then seeing it like kind of thrown to the side because it's weird pieces or strange, you know, like weird sizes. Um, that hit me as like, oh, well, that's another type of trash that we can work with. Um, <laughs> and And so, yeah, I I would say that my starting point was like in looking at these materials and kind of almost like I'd like to think of like the Louis Kahn, you know, what does a brick want to be? But kind of like, what does this material want to be? But And also, what will make people question this material the most? And I think that's why I've sort of like hyper- gone like hyper geometric because mm-hmm. i want that like man-made um that really kind of like this had a man-made like stamp on it. it's not yeah we did not carve this out of you know the mountain this was shaped by m- tools and to me like positioning a marble block like that makes you you know, reckon with the weight of the marble. Mm-hmm. So it makes you reckon with the material properties themselves. Like, and I think that's the same thing I'm, I try and do with the rubber as well. Like. It has, you know, it has certain um, allusions to terrazzo. It, it looks like it might be heavy. That's part of the pairing with the concrete, but it actually, you know, it's this flexible material. And when I designed the baskets with the rubber, it was about, you know, because so many people thought it was like hard. I got, I got a lot of questions like, what's the texture? Is it flexible? Hmm. Is it pliable? And so I thought, "Oh well, I haven't demonstrated that it has this pliable aspect to it yet <laughs> so so the idea was to, to mm. kind of like use its pliability in a functional way, um, and then with that product, also um, in thinking about material use, the pattern was designed to produce zero waste whatsoever so mm-hmm. I, I think in you know it's like all kind of in tandem while it starts with kind of what what materials are accessible. I think the process is to kind of really, in a way, highlight the material while creating something functional. Um, in terms of like how long something should last, I feel like that's in, in almost inherent too in, in the materials and the material choices. Like the idea of pairing these is somewhat mm-hmm. like piggybacking on the legacy of some of these materials. Like you would never imagine to throw away something that is you know mar- like a solid marble so yeah i hope that that lends the all of the products some of that permanence
1: how do you see your responsibility at the seat of the sustainable table as an entrepreneur and you know and how you feel you can make those changes um, progressive enough and inspire other designers and other entrepreneurs
2: my responsibility is definitely to propose these ideas and to, you know, bring them to life in as as much as I can. Um, And with each product, try and push that further. Um, That's very important to me that, you know, each collection or, or piece starts to take on another process or, um, or evolve our current processes and, uh, and, and, new about the way we can use materials. You know, I was like, oh, nobody um, is making this type of product. So maybe that's not something people want. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe, you know, maybe it's not, it's not done for a reason. Or, you know, you you kind of kind of rationalize the status quo um, until you kind of take it on and decide that you're going to test that out and see what the outcome is. Um, So absolutely encouraging more points of view taking on different ways to address sustainability is key Mm -hmm. i think because there's again there's not one way to contribute it has to happen in these in all of these ways and i ideally that collective knowledge contributes to this better future so like whatever small innovations I come up with mm-hmm. in conjunction with all of the innovations um, and perspectives that all these other entrepreneurs and just thinkers, um, leaders come up with will eventually hopefully culminate in kind of better way of um, cohabitating or like coexisting with our, our world.
1: How do we help people discover all those other opportunities there are out there and I think it is by being you know leaders and inspiring like you are and hopefully are to other people.
0: It's almost like there needs to be like a like a waste market place <laughs> like mm. you know so like a, an Alibaba but for um, you know marble offcuts and old tires. And, and it would mean people, it would mean institutions and corporations being really open and transparent about their process. Um, but it would give people like, Oh look, there's a load of, I don't know. Yeah. I, hair, I, I, hair or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think that's starting to happen in fashion too. I mean, because I think that there's uh yeah, there are networks now of like, fabric surplus. And that industry is really taking it on. And I, I agree, I would love for there to be some kind of a resource to access materials that are byproducts, because it's, it's, it's not something that's necessarily easy to, um, to encounter. And, and even after that, it's, it's even more difficult, I think, to find industry to work on it. I think there needs to be like more capital or, you know, that's another thing I've been thinking about too and looking into is like the capital that's going to make that happen in a larger scale way. And, uh, and I, you know, I think there are more investors that want to create positive change. What's nice is stepping back and kind of reflecting on all of that, especially in the work that we did together and are talking about now, but just having the opportunity to see that, see the, that these are all just like ideas going on in my head, but Mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. other people find that potentially inspiring and and that it would motivate them to do their own version of it or believe it's possible. Um, Especially as I'm like, even I, I guess, structurally in terms of, being an entrepreneur like one of the things i um think about a lot or recently have been thinking about because i know i need to shift it and maybe that marks this sort of hopefully a shift towards being more of like you know um macro level operating and like putting the mission and having the mission propel more change and instead of sort of micromanaging the small day-to-day tasks which taking up too much time I think that that's actually I'm sort of like starting to understand that that's what can enable greater strides yeah I think a lot about being an entrepreneur is imagining that future and just putting that um, imagine you know that imagined state into existence even if it's like you're at the nascent stage yeah the the you know like Elon Musk said he was going to build this rocket and that it was a solvable problem, and now he <laughs> has solved that problem. Yeah. Um, so, mm.
0: Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, says, um, as an entrepreneur, um, you need to live in the future and create what's missing,
2: which I think mm-hmm. is a really nice
0: way to mm. think about it.
2: Yeah, your prompt, again, so beautifully, like, so very thoughtful. I love all the layers. I think it's, yeah, it's just like, it's something that it's important to continuously question and evolve and find, even like for my own mind, just like come up with what are the rationalizations for the choices that are being made and what can push things more forward and create more positive impact. And yeah, I'm I, really engaging and wonderful talking mm-hmm. to the both of you who are like, I love the the fact that I think we all kind of share this design mindset yeah. and the um, desire to have positive impact, and that's kind of like the unique, you know,
1: it's point in which things yeah. I
2: usually <laughs> don't necessarily. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you, thank you for your time. It was lovely to see you. Thank you, you guys usual. so
2: much. Yes. Right. Right. Nice yeah. one. Lovely to see you and we'll see speak soon. really soon.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Forever Conversations with Curious Minds Creating Sustainable Brands. You can find more on Ariel at slashobjects.com. This conversation was brought to you by Behaviour, a creative company that balances purpose and profit. We're always open to new conversations and we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch. You can find us at behavior.xyz. Until next time, goodbye people.